and from listeners like you who donate at WJFFradio.org. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Radio Catskill, your NPR station for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. Hello, 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 and welcome to the local edition, news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Friday, Patricio Rabayo. It's Friday, we made it. Thank you for spending your Friday evening with me. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're staying warm. In the second half of the show, I'll be speaking with Ramona Jan. She's one of the Yardslingers. She's one of the founders of the Yardslingers. And I'll be talking to her about her upcoming Yarn Slingers event that's happening at the DVAA. But first, it's Friday on the local edition. And every other Friday, we check in with the one and only Philip Pontuso. He's the managing editor for the Hudson Valley's Times Union. Philip, welcome back to the show. You have a big story coming out of Ulster County this week. The Ulster County Finance Commissioner has resigned after an embezzlement accusation. Philip, what can you tell us about this breaking news from Ulster County? Yeah, so this was news that broke last week, and we don't know all the details yet, but the Finance Commissioner of Ulster County, a man named Bert Golnick, resigned Wednesday amid allegations that he stole from a nonprofit in the town of Hurley uh, that he worked for. Um, at the same time that he was the county finance commissioner. So the the nonprofit in Hurley is the Hurley Recreation Association, which is a swimming and outdoor rec park out on Dewitt Mills Road there. And Golnick was the treasurer of that organization. He stands accused of embezzling funds for Hurley Rec. And that came to light about a week and a half ago, when Ulster County Controller March Gallagher's office found out, Gallagher and Ulster County Executive Jen Metzger offered Golnick to take a leave of absence, and he resigned instead. So we don't know exactly the nature of those allegations yet. There isn't, there, there's not been any kind of legal action taken against Golnick on this particular matter. So the details are still sort of to be, to be, to come to light anyway. Um, Earlier this week, Metzger uh, called for a an investigation of all of Golnick's work with the county's finances since he's been in that role. So she right now, the um, state controller's office and the Ulster County District Attorney's office are working on an investigation into Ulster County's books to determine whether Golnick mishandled any county funds. There. It's not the first time that he has found himself in hot water. Last year, his former secretary filed a discrimination lawsuit against him. And as part of that lawsuit, she accused him of trying to cover up a $1 million payment that he mistakenly made to the state, basically charging him with or accusing him of um, burying it in paperwork so it wouldn't come to the county controller's attention. There is a lot of, uh, it's kind of a long history 
between the county finance commissioner, Golnick, and the county controller, uh, March Gallagher. Um, about a week ago, as we're speaking, right before this news came out, controller Gallagher released a pretty lengthy press release calling for investigation into the county's finances, which has not begun, and detailing that um, she had had trouble getting access to Ulster County financial information since she took office in 2020. The thing she's really concerned about um, with the county's finances is that there is apparently an absence of internal controls over cash receipts in the county's coffers. So Ulster County taxpayers have more than $214 million in cash assets. And um, there was a draft audit that the controller's office was circulating recently where they expressed some concern that really there's no oversight or no internal controls over how that money moves around. So there's a lot of kind of concern over, um, you know, Golnick's access to that, given the embezzling accusations that he's facing in his non-elected role and much more on the story that will be that will develop as the investigation continues. Most definitely. That's a that's a lot for one person. Now, in your story, not your story, but in Lena's story in the Times Union, it mentions that the payroll supervisor made the mistake. Do you know if that person will be held liable in this investigation as of now? It's all falling on him right now. Yeah, you're, you're, you're correct. I should, have, I should have been more specific there. So, yes, it was the county payroll supervisor who mistakenly sent $1 million to the state, and Golnick himself is the one who, who buried that. This was a story that was playing out last year. It's not, I think, directly relevant to what's happening now, other than that it shows that Mr. Golnick's tenure as also getting finance commissioner was not without prior controversy. Do you know what are the sort of ramifications of all this, that whether he is sort of facing jail time or has to pay the money back? Well, as far as I know, there is not um, any legal activity happening on that yet. He, he was already removed from his position as treasurer of the Hurley Recreation Association, that, that was also last week. That happened when the organization learned of what it called financial discrepancies. So he's already, he's already lost his job there. And of course, he resigned as the Ulster County Finance Commissioner. The investigation that's happening is at the request of, of the, the Ulster County Executive, and that's specifically into his activities uh, as Ulster County Finance Commissioner. So whatever what kind of ramifications or penalties come down will be dependent on what they find. Definitely keeps us up to date on the developing this developing story. Now moving on to some environmental news. It's something I always wondered about. This mild winter that we have been having, how has it affected our region? Yeah, so this was a story that our one of our contributing editors, Alexander Zisu, was working on for the past couple of weeks. Sort of ironic that we're talking about it now as there's a big... <laughs> Uh, weather storm coming in this weekend. But she spoke to a number of experts, ecological and environmental experts in the region, about what the effects of the the mild winter might be, uh, both kind of this year and going forward. There were a couple of sort of main takeaways. I think the, the headlines are that there's some concern that the toxic algal blooms that were, you know, on the Walk Hill River next year might return. And I think the big one is that adult stage ticks have been active all winter because it's been warm enough. And uh, we talked to uh, a scientist at the Cary Institute of Ecosystem Studies up in Millbrook. They have a tick study program there. And he said that 
you know, while there won't be more ticks in the coming months, they're going to be active earlier. They are, are already active in, in some cases. And so folks just need to be aware probably a little bit earlier than they would typically be when they're out hiking or, or enjoying the outdoors. Longer term, I think their concern is how the, the warmer weather will affect seasonal migration patterns and sort of how different species interact with, with each other. So, you know, one, one thing that one of the scientists told us is that there are birds that will be migrating back north and they'll be arriving here sooner than the insects that they feed on are hatched and active. And that just creates what the scientists call a mismatch of timing among two species that sort of historically have worked in concert. So there's, you know, there's, there's a lot to kind of monitor here. And, you know, we we're going to continue doing more reporting on in the climate and, of course, efforts to try to uh, you know, address it, at least locally. And this is just a perfect example of seeing the local effects of what climate change is doing. It's, it's disrupting the normal patterns that these birds and, and these uh, insects live and how they operate for years and years and years. And now climate change, it's changing that and is having a sort of a domino effect on other species. That's right. Yeah, and there's, there's real economic consequences as well. Of course, the, the lack of snow has, uh, and the lack of cold weather overall has not been helpful to the ski resorts for the north and Catskills and further upstate. But yeah, wide-ranging impacts. Well, Philip, thank you so much for letting us know about those two big stories that's coming out in the Times Union from the Hudson Valley Bureau. That's Philip Pantuso, the managing editor for the Times Union Hudson Valley Bureau. We'll talk to him again in two weeks. We'll be right back. We'll talk to Ramona Jan from the Yarn Slingers. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. This is Radio Catskill, and there's a winter weather advisory in effect until 9 a.m. for Sullivan, Delaware, Ulster, and Orange Counties in our listening area, with accumulations of 3 to 6 inches of snow, possibly up to 8 inches in eastern Sullivan County. In Wayne and Pike counties, it's a winter storm warning with four to seven inches of snow. The snow may fall at more than half an inch per hour this evening. Lighter snow will persist later tonight into early Saturday before ending. This is Radio Catskill. Listen local. Welcome back to the local edition. News and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm Patricio Robayo, your host for this Friday evening. Tomorrow, this Saturday, at 2 p.m., the Yarn Slingers are back at the Delaware Valley Arts Alliance, the DVAA. The Yarn Slingers is a program dedicated to the art and the craft of storytelling and is set to celebrate Women's History Month by presenting a selection of stories on the subject of female. Founded in 2011 by writer and musician Ramona Jan, Yarn Slingers believes that everyone has a story to tell and encourages people from all walks of life to spin their spellbinding tales. 
On the phone this now to tell us more is Ramona Jan. Ramona, welcome to the program. Hi, Patricio. Thank you. For those who have never been to a Yarn Slingers show, night, event, or might not have heard it on WGAF Radio Catskill, how would you describe an evening with the Yarn Slingers? Well, um, we are memoirists, which means that we tell true stories that happened to us according to a theme. And basically, we have anywhere from novice to very experienced writers. And so it's, it's, it's a, it's an experience that can be, uh, funny. It can be sad. It, it's entertaining. I never know what's going to happen because we don't go through the stories ahead of time. So they're fresh for the yarn slingers as well as the audience. So it's pretty exciting and it usually lasts an hour. And right. everyone gets something out of it. The writers as well as the audience go away with a feeling of community and connection a lot of audience members find themselves in in other people's stories and it's it's just a wonderful experience absolutely i've never been to a yarn slingers presentation but i have heard it on the wjff sunday stage and i forget who which writer it was but it was it was about a story they were reading uh about their job and it was very relatable and that was i found myself laughing because i would picture myself in that situation and have been in that certain particular situation i don't remember what the situation was but i do remember i was laughing and uh it made the story that more relatable and made me more engaged with the programming yeah and i want to uh emphasize that like i said a lot of our writers uh are not professional and i even hesitate to call them writers because they're just, uh, you know, they're learning. We learn through each other. We have some very experienced people. Even I am still learning. So what happens is just by getting up in front of an audience, one learns about their own writing and the oral tradition of, of telling the story. So there's a lot that goes into it. And I, and I want to emphasize the, the presentation part is also very important and people, you know, will work on that too. We have to, we've been, it's actually, we started in 2011. I actually looked it up today. So I'm going to have to correct that on the website. And in fact, I just added the very first 2011 story, which was baggage and the story of how yarn slingers began on our YouTube channel, which is uh, YouTube slash at yarn slingers. And I know you want to know a little bit about how we did begin, right? We can go into that if you want. Absolutely. You started this in 2011. So my first question is, why? Why did you want to create this type of programming? Well, uh, what happened was prior to 2011, I had just been writing down things that I remembered about my life as a way of sort of a, a therapy of sorts. Let's put it that way. No one told me to do it or anything. I just started doing it. And I was looking for, I, I didn't even look for opportunities. I mean, the few opportunities came along where people were like, oh, if you want to tell your story, you know, come to this event. And one of the events was in Livingston Manor at a bakery, which is no longer there. And a psychotherapist had put it together. And she said, everyone needs to write a story on baggage, you know, a personal first-person true story. I was not one of the people picked, 
But when I went to the space, I saw it was very large, and I said, do you have a sound system? And she said, no. I said, well, I'll provide the sound system if you'll let me read my story. <laughs> so that's how I got in. And uh, I, like I said, I just I just put that up on um, on YouTube. And uh, she, uh, I, I had to tell her, look, this is a very large room. And if a lot of people come, you're, no one's going to be heard. Thanked me profusely afterwards for bringing the sound system because it was standing room only. And she was so wiped out by it that she said she didn't want to do it again. That was it. It was a one-off thing. So I said, do you mind if I continue it? And she said, yeah, go ahead. Sure. I never saw her again. And um, there was no name to the uh, event. It was done by the Outsider Collective, which doesn't exist. I don't think it exists anymore uh, in Livingston Manor. It was an, a collective of artists. That That's who hosted the event. And so I just started it up right away, and there was so much interest from libraries and schools and, like, right away. I mean, we have never had to advertise or, you know, I, I've really never really had to seek out a place to do yarn slingers. We've, we've done it everywhere, NACL, we've, uh, Bethel Woods. Um, we just got a recent request from Tuxedo Park Library, so we're actually expanding out Wayne County Arts Alliance. Uh, it, it, it just goes on and on, and we're very happy to be at Krauss Recital Hall, uh, which is upstairs from, from the DBAA, just so people know. And it's always a free event, just it's a free to attend. We, that was one thing I decided it would never be something you'd have to pay for. I think the response that you're getting that you're saying you always have, you always have a place to present yarn slingers. People are asking you to present there. I think it's because people have and want a creative outlet to either express themselves or see other people express their art form. You know, I you know I played music for a long time, and and having been in a band, I'll, I'll just make a little uh, you know comparison that this is definitely a band of writers with an oral tradition, and very entertaining. It just turns out to be magical and entertaining every single time, and we're different because we we don't have the musical part, although. I feel that words crafted well are musical, and it's just really a different, something different. It's very much uh, for the um, J WJFF crowd, NPR crowd. It's we're like the moth, if if you know the moth. I, we've had people say that we're better than the moth who who have <laughs> gone to the moth. <laughs> uh, not trying to toot my horn here, but uh, we have some. Everybody's story is is relatable. This upcoming Yarn Slinger show at the DVA is going to touch on the theme of female. And March is also Women's History Month. Can you talk about this upcoming theme? Yeah, themes are decided typically between, uh, you know, really most by the host venue uh, in consultation with me. We also have a whole list of themes they can choose from. And Ariel and I came up with the theme pretty quickly. Basically, it gets interpreted by each writer however they want to interpret it. We do not critique or meet prior, so there's a lot of freedom. There's all freedom, let's just say that. Freedom and no censorship. Uh, we we just say it's rated L for language, and there's, there's no, you know, censorship, and there's total freedom for the writer, artist, to write what, how they interpret the story as long as they stay within the amount of words allowed so that nobody goes 
on too far, you know. So, so that's you know that's the theme that we came up with, Ariel and I, since it was Women's Month, and I have to say it's been a difficult theme for me personally. I thought when we came up with that, I thought, oh, that'll be easy. I'm a female, but then I thought, then I start writing the piece, and I have to say it's the one I worked on the hardest in all these eleven years. <laughs> so, and why is that? Why do you think this subject that you thought would have been easy for you to write about was hard? What made it so difficult? Well, it's interesting because, you know, now in today's world, you know, the idea of female and male is being looked at differently. And so when I started to write myself, write it myself, I never actually looked at that within myself, what defines that or, and again, we write about our experiences. So whatever needs to be said has to come through an actual uh, experience. And I grew up, I was born in the late 1950s and grew up, you know, in the 60s. And, you know, it was we were treated very differently as females back then. Uh, you know, I came of age in the 70s. Um, you know, so I, you know, for me personally, it was quite a, a journey. And I don't want to give away too much of my story so uh, in advance, um, but uh, I'm going to be curious to see what some of the men write. And we have some new brand new people uh, that will be with us this uh, Saturday. So the lineup changes from time to time, right? Yes. We have probably a stable right now of about 50 writers. And now when we do an event, try to do an event once a month, sometimes we skip a few months. And again, it's always up to the venue how they want to do things. And oftentimes they'll go to our YouTube channel to, um, you know, see who they would like to be involved with their uh, event in their event. And they'll pick cherry, cherry pick some of the writers from that. Uh, we also have jurors who are not in this area. One of them is in Massachusetts. The other one is in New York City, who if we get an overload of writers wanting to, there's only ever nine or 10 writers. Uh, this, this weekend, Saturday, there will be 10 writers with an intermission and they're short stories. I mean, it's, it's five minutes for each person, basically. If I get, if I can only pick eight or nine or 10 writers and 30 of them apply, we hand it over to the jurors or the venue. They decide, you know, I just step away from it. So, yeah, it revolves uh, d different people, uh, you know, all, and uh, we always welcome new people as well. That's very important. So there are always a few slots for brand new people. How do you think Yon Slingers strengthen the writers you have present? Do you feel like you're helping with their process? Uh, well, they learn from hearing other writers and from the experience of reading their piece out loud in front of an audience, because this is something that writers don't actually get to do. They have to, they put their stories on paper or their books on paper and they send it out and they hope a friend will read it or somebody, a publisher will read it and they can get feedback. And often that feedback isn't as valuable as if you've read it aloud in front of uh, an audience. And this Saturday, who will be joining you at the DVAA? We have Isabel Braverman. Greg Triggs, Pamela Zaychik, Penelope Gardy, Willow Baum, myself, Bill Fellenberg, Kiki Reginato, Glenn of Trees, and Mackenzie Kell. What a lineup there. Going back on what you said just a little while ago about having the readers, having the writers read their work out loud and in my experiences of doing writing and reading it loud and having it, let's say, published and being out in the world, it really does make that writing that much 
more real. Meaning, sometimes as a writer, from what I know and what my experience is, sometimes you could live in a sort of a vacuum or a bubble or think you do. And to finally have one of your pieces out into the world and other people interact with it, it could be such a sort of a, a cathartic experience. Yeah, and also I think there's a certain kind of like relief uh, that the writer gets by sharing their story almost in a confessional way. People write for a reason. Like I said, I wrote, I just started writing therapeutically and still do. That's why I write. Uh, and that's a lot of people, uh, you know, who are involved. They just want to tell their story to somebody and more than just one friend or two friends or three friends. It's like, oh, okay, all these people are here to hear my story. Uh, and I have to say that I had a, a terrible, terrible stage fright, probably for the first 10 years, until I spoke with a jazz uh, piano pianist friend of mine, Kazri Jackson, who is also a yarn slinger. And, you know, she told me that she just, one day, she just finally got over the stage fright. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. I need to do that next. I need to, like, what's there to worry about? I have stumbled over words. I have lost my place on the page. And I and it's okay. I survived it in the audience. So I seemed okay with it, you know? And I still stumble over words sometimes because when you speak your story, like actors will have all these exercises they do before they go on stage to get the mouth working and I'm like, yeah, you got to I have to do that. Vocalists will vocalize. There's a reason for it. So it brings in a lot more a lot more than just I've, you know, I wrote this story now, uh, you know, so it's, you know, like I said, bringing back the oral traditions as well. I guess also that stage fright can come from maybe self-doubt that you're doubting your work and whether your work is good enough to present, also good enough compared to the other writers with you. Yeah, well, let me tell you something. Uh, in all these years, it's just the opposite. Most of them think their work is great. <laughs> I have doubt about my work, but a lot of the writers think their work is great, and and it is because it's their story. So I don't see a lot of, or at least they're not expressing that um, they have self-doubt about their story once in a while, and it's usually the professional ones. Uh, and by professional, I mean people who are actually in print and 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 making money, either newspaper columnists or they've got a book published with a publisher. Those are the only ones, the writers who have ever said to me, I'm not sure about my story. <laughs> <laughs> Ramona, before we go, is there anything else I have not touched on that you want our listeners to know about the Yarn Slingers event that's happening this Saturday at the DVAA? Well, we're very excited to be at Krauss Hall. It's, we're part of the Salon series. And what's going to be unique about this is I'll be talking a little bit about the process of yarn slingers and how it kind of works. And because that's part of what the salon series is about. We just love this space. Uh, it's very comfortable. It's cozy. Uh, you can hear and see well in the space. So, so in that way, we're, you know, we're really looking forward to it. We thank Ariel and the Delaware Valley Arts Alliance for inviting us this year. And that's happening Saturday at 2 p.m. The Yarn Slingers are back at the Delaware Valley Arts Alliance. We're talking to Ramona Jan from the Yarn Slingers, forming along with other writers this Saturday. Ramona, thank you so much for joining us on the program, and good luck for this Saturday. 
Thanks, Patricio. Okay, hope to see you there. And that does it for the local edition. Thank you to my first guest, Philip Pantuso from the Hudson Valley Times Union. Thank you again to Ramona Jan from the Yard Slingers. We'll be back on Monday. We're talking to Sullivan County. and also talking to the Sullivan County Democrat newspaper to find out what's happening in the news. If you ever miss a show, we have a podcast. You find us anywhere you find your favorite podcast. Google, Apple, Stitcher. Search for WJFF, the local edition. Subscribe, share it, even tell your friends. Find us on social media. We're at WJFF Radio Catskill. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Visit our website, wjffradio.org slash the local edition. You've been listening to the local edition, and I've been your host, Patricio Robayo. Have a good night, Lucy. This is Radio Catskill, your NPR station for the Sullivan Catskills. Have a great weekend, and stay safe out there. Support comes from the Outside Institute, offering nature-based education since 2017. The new outpost is now open at 39 Lower Main Street in Calicoon. Events schedule and information at theoutsideinstitute.org and on Instagram. From Garnet Health Medical Center, Catskills, with campuses in Harris and Calicoon, offering inpatient and outpatient services to Sullivan County and surrounding communities. Learn more at GarnetHealth.org. National Women's Day was March 8th, the birthday of my guest on Catskill Character this week, Jane Luxinger. When we spoke last May, Jane talked about Growing Old Together, a nonprofit for seniors she helped form, her love of sewing, and being a hospital administrator. At Catskill Character, we celebrate Jane and women everywhere. Join us Saturday at 1130 on Radio Catskill.